0: So, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. just You guys can just shout these things out to you. What is the first word that jumps to mind when you hear the book of Revelation? Tribulation. Tribulation, okay. Preparation. Preparation, okay. Dragons. <laughs> Fire. Fire. Confusion. There, there, that's... <laughs> apocalypse. Apocalypse. That's actually what the word revelation means, right? The word apocalypse. Apocalypse actually means to reveal something, right? That's why it's called the revelation, and it's not revelations. There's no S on the end of that book. It's revelation, revelation. Um, so I don't think I'm going too far out on a limb to to say that the book of Revelation is easily the most misunderstood book in, in the Bible. When we've been leading up to this, um, I had, in the five plus years that I've been doing this, I never Went at it this way before, but I asked the whole elder team to go read the book of Revelation, and then I gave them each an additional extra biblical resource that kind of explains it, and then I had them write book reports on that. Have them read Revelation again, and then we came back and we discussed our our findings. Right? Um, there's so much stuff in there. I wanted to, this is just like so. This is I have a stack of books like this on my desk. This is Revelation. This is this guy's shorter version. Of his commentary on the book of Revelation, right? G.K. Bill is a brilliant guy. Um, there's just so much to understand and try, try to learn. So I am not an expert on this book. We're gonna learn as we go through this together, and hopefully, lots of lots of interaction and questions and stuff, and we'll try to get our try to get our brains around it. So as we've been leading up to this and talking to people, like say, oh, we're gonna be studying the book of Revelation. Big eye roll. We're studying the book of Revelation. I don't want to read the book of Revelation. It scares me, right? That's actually the most common one, right? Is that people are afraid of it, and that's because it's, it's misunderstood. Or we say, oh yeah, well, you know, isn't it that this, this, this? And what? They're, it's not the theology of the book of Revelation at all. It's they're replaying to me what they learned from some misguided fiction books and, and movies. And then even some of the greatest theologians in all of history, right, guys like John Calvin and Martin Luther, they didn't want anything to do with the book of Revelation. Calvin wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible except Revelation. He just, he, they would just choose to ignore it. So he's not, like, that's not a responsible way. God thought enough of this book to include it in here, so we should, we should pay attention to it, right? Um, some lesser-known theologians have caused untold damage by using the book of Revelation to try and predict a date when Jesus is coming back, right? There was a date in October of 1844, and then it was kind of quiet, and then there was some 1988 stuff, right? And then there was Y2K, and then another guy came out, and there was, uh, you know, first it was May of 2011. Then he's like, no, oops, I was wrong. It's October of 2011. All of them have come and gone, right? So if you ever hear anybody predict, try to predict something like with a specific date or any kind of specifics like that out of the book of Revelation, nobody's been right so far. And Jesus said, nobody's going to know except God the Father. But people like left jobs assuming that things were going to come to, you know, an end and a new beginning. They didn't go to college. Like really all kinds of damage have been, has been done. Uh, people have taken one or two verses out of here or a single chapter and developed whole frameworks of theology that are really, really hard to support outside of those one, one or two verses. So everything that you guys said, confusing, scary, preparation, all of that stuff is all, is all true. And we're going to try and unpack some of that stuff. But the reason why we're addressing this, the book, it feels problematic, right? Just like it would be easier just to, it's that we'll just, you know, it's the last book. When we get to the end, we'll get to the end. Um, But it is the last book, and God wanted us to have that so we would know the end, right? God's the ultimate spoiler. Like, we know the end, and we're playing on the winning team. But this is, this is the big idea for, like, the whole thing, right? Revelation points us to Jesus as our comfort, hope, and challenge. Or I don't know if that's the word. Hope, comfort, and challenge. The book of Revelation points us to Jesus. The main point of Revelation is not the dragons, right? It's not the Antichrist. It's not the tribulation. It's Jesus, Jesus is the main, I know that's like, who would have thought Jesus is the main, like that's where we should focus. So our game plan is this, right? Um, Many of us are reading the book of Revelation right now, a chapter at a time, and it's not too late. If you guys still want to get those notifications, um, you can go to the website, crossroadct.info, hit the next steps button, and you will get a link every morning that will take you to Bible Gateway, and you can read it, or you can—it will take you to Bible Gateway, and it will—you can hear Max McLean read it. It's got one of those really cool, like English kind of theatrical voices. Um, but so it's been said about the Book of Revelation that you can't understand Revelation unless you understand Revelation. Hmm. Right. Good stage. Eyebrow raise, Exactly. <laughs> <coughs> um, th- It—it's been also—it's been called like a tapestry. Um, meaning that you're going to read something in chapter six that if you didn't read chapter one and chapter twenty-two, it's not all going to make sense. Or if you're familiar with hand-sewn embroidery, like the back of that, that's that's kind of how the Book of Revelation can feel until we until we zoom out and and try to get our brains around it. So we're reading it right. And the next this week, next week, our Revelation pre-work. Then in our third week. We're gonna, I'm gonna go through some of the things that Revelation is not. And then in our fourth week, we're actually gonna start looking at the text. We're gonna look at text of Revelation along the way, but we're gonna start working our way through it. Um, and then if there's enough you know, um, curiosity or enough comments, questions and stuff, we'll try to maybe do some additional Q and A, um, evenings, afternoons, whatever, however it works. I'll try to create space on Sunday mornings for you guys to, to ask questions. We are not, going to debate on a Sunday. We're not going to, you know, we can have those conversations outside because this is a book that people can get heated about and the understanding of the last things people can get worked up about and that's not where we're going. That's not the point or why we're doing this, right? What's the point? Jesus. Okay. All right. So today we want to we want to situate Revelation within the whole biblical story. So it's the last book of the Bible, but the guys at the Bible Project did an amazing video. It's the whole kind of high-level picture of the Bible in six-ish minutes, right? So that's what we're gonna, we're gonna take a look at that now. All right, so was that helpful? Get a lot of information there in, in, in six minutes. But God created, just quick summary, God created the God space and the earth space as one, they were united. Sin comes in and messes all of that up. Jesus is the, the fruition, right? God, throughout history, God is working to restore a relationship with humanity, to bring those places back together. Starts with Adam and Eve, start, then goes to Noah and Abraham and Israel, and ultimately Jesus is the one who does it. Jesus is the one who is the already and the not yet. He starts, he starts the beginning of that new creation with his life, death, and resurrection. And then Revelation is the consummation of God's plan. It's the the last, the last. Everything, everything comes together in there. So, um, to to um, get our brains around this, uh, Joe, I'm going to ask you to. Oh, I, never mind. I'll get it. Um, we're going to have to learn some some terms, and after this, you probably don't need to remember them. Right. But uh, they're important to understanding, understanding Revelation, but also to understand how it got all twisted up the way that it that it has and why we're scared of it and and confused by it. Um, The first term that we're going to wrestle with is this idea of presuppositions. Okay, we all have presuppositions and they cannot be avoided. And that's okay. What's not okay is if we pretend like we don't have them and we like, don't acknowledge them, we, don't, we aren't aware of them. Um, there's a, a theologian by the name of Dr. Kim Rattleberger, and he, he said um, that our, we wanna kind of test our presuppositions, that if what we bring to the Bible requires us to read the Bible in such a way that we're tweaking and reworking and forcing our presuppositions into what we're reading, that's not, not, not good. We want our presuppositions to be the least tweaking and the least forced that we can possibly come up with. He also used the analogy, I'm not a puzzle guy. I actually hate puzzles. They make me feel very badly about myself. Um, <laughs> but like when you're doing a puzzle, you look at the puzzle box top to kind of get a highlight. Like, this, is, this is the goal. This is what we're looking towards. And so these presuppositions help us read scripture and specifically um, the book of of Revelation. We tracking so far? It's a big word, it just means a a mindset that we bring to something. All right. Um, Eschatology is the study of last things, right? And this is where everybody gets all worked up. Everybody's got an opinion about how the last things will come to come to pass. There's, if you, if you really slice and dice this, there's, I don't know, probably unlimited numbers, but there's five kind of big ones that I'll run through really quickly. The first one is the historist. It's a mouthful. I don't like trying to say that. Is the historist position. That basically takes the book of Revelation, and it's a timeline, and it places it on all of history. Those who take this viewpoint can pick out points in history, and they can plug them in to a verse in Revelation, say, oh, that, ver-, you know, chapter 6, verse 4, that's, that's what happened in, you know, 1820, whatever. <laughs> it's a really oversimplified example. The problem with that is is as each generation moves on and new creation doesn't come about, the timeline has to slide. So, it, like, if it didn't happen, the history's position was probably only valid in... The generation surrounding 95 A.D. when most people think this book was written. Um, The next one is the preterist position, and that's the position that people read the Book of Revelation. And almost all of this stuff was fulfilled around the year A.D. 70, when the city of Jerusalem itself was captured by Rome and destroyed, and the temple and the temple was destroyed. All of the um, the things that Jesus predicted, that's people say, well, Jesus' predictions were about the destruction of of Jerusalem. Right? So the problem with that is the book of Revelation becomes irrelevant to everybody after it. The futurist position, and this is um, kind of where modern Christianity tends to fall, and there are a couple different variations of this, but I'm just going to give you like the the most, the most common one, is that um, Revelation is history written in advance. And this stuff hasn't, hasn't happened yet. Actually, that's not entirely true. They, they look at the book of Revelation as um, chapters 1 and 2 are what, what was, what always has been. Um, chapters 4 and 5 are what is, what was happening right then, like when John was experiencing his, his visions, what he was seeing. And then chapters 6 through 22 are all future stuff. Um, it gets, it gets a little bit dicey in that um, it hinges upon a very, very literal interpretation of a scripture. And there's lots of things in the book of Revelation that, taken literally, they can only have happened in the future, right? That a dragon, right? We've never seen a dragon. It's only, it can only happen in the future. And they also kind of, the people who, who land in this position get themselves in trouble because literal, 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 oh, but the locusts that come out of the abyss are really attack helicopters. Well, that's not very literal. Okay, so they, they kind of get themselves tripped up. The idealist position is one that not, nothing in Revelation is, um, is prophetic or to be taken literally. It's all symbolic. And... Um, the problem with that is it can be molded to the reader's perspective. It can mean whatever the reader wants it to mean. Um, and it's also you know, very um, dependent upon genre recognition, which is important. Like when you read the Bible, we have to recognize the genre of literature that we're reading. Like the, psalm, the Psalms as poetry read differently than 1st and 2nd Kings as historical narrative. Does that make sense? All right, and then the last one, eclectic or hybrid. Absolutely contingent upon genre rec- genre recognition. But it holds that within the book of Revelation, we have what's called apocalyptic literature, we have prophetic literature, and we also have a pastoral letter. Okay? Apocalyptic literature is revealing that which is unseen. It's it's looking at earthly circumstances in light of heavenly reality. And it's usually mediated by a divine presence. So you look at Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah had a throne room experience. He was in God's throne room in chapter six. The apostle Paul, before um, he found Jesus, before Jesus found him, right, that he's kind of got that famous experience on the road to Damascus, where Jesus peels back the curtain and reveals himself. So, Paul now sees something that was previously unseen. The book of Daniel, which a lot of revelation is, is based on, is apocalyptic literature. There's lots of stuff outside the Bible from this same time frame written as apocalyptic literature. But the couple of big pieces, revealing that which is unseen, um, looking at our circumstances through the lens of heaven, and it's meant to bring hope and comfort and challenge. Prophetic literature is not just predicting the future, right? The kind of the pithy little phrase: it prophetic literature is both foretelling—that's the predicting part—and forthtelling, which means truth, right? So it's John, the author, writing to these churches as a pastor-elder figure, and he's telling them, "You guys are doing this well and this not so well. You need to change this." And it also kind of overlaps with the pastoral letter part a little bit because John is the elder pastor figure and he's writing to, the book of Revelation was written to seven churches in Asia Minor. And he's writing to them from a pastor's heart. He wants them to know what's going to happen. He wants them to know um, from a heavenly perspective to help them understand what's currently happening to them And he wants them to understand how it ties in to everything that has happened, not just them, but the Jewish people and believers in Jesus along the way. So the collective view brings the um, apocalyptic, prophetic, and um, pastoral brings those letters all together. And uh, so the literal interpreters of Scripture will look at that and say, they. I'm sorry, these are a bunch of stupid words. It's an inconsistent hermeneutic, right? A hermeneutic is just the way that you interpret the Bible. They'll say it's inconsistent. Well, it's not, I don't think it is inconsistent. I think it, lets, it does the best job of letting the text actually speak for itself rather than imposing something upon it. So we bring these kind of thinking. You didn't even know these things existed, right? So, but people who study this stuff bring these kind of thinking to the text and I'm going to read to you. I'm going to read all of chapter 20. It's only 14 verses. It's one of the crazier chapters in the book of Revelation, but then they, they take these positions, bring them to a text like this, and then they develop a framework, which we'll talk about in a second, right? But so just think about, as I describe those different positions and what I'm about to read to you, what all that stuff, um, how it could be interpreted. Ready? And this, so this is John talking. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share. If you're getting confused, it's okay. It's, It's really confusing. Absolutely, 100% confusing. Blessed, are the, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand on the seashore. They march across the breadth of the earth and are surrounded and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his pre- presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was open, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. All right. So, a lot of stuff in there, right? People take one of the, well, if everything already happened, or if it's only going to happen in the future, and they take those things, and then they end up um, defining that the, the chapter is famous for this thousand years, thousand years, thousand years, and what we know of it is it's a thousand-year reign of Christ. What we don't know is that thousand years figurative, or is it literal? When does it start? When does it end? And what happens um, is those presuppositions, the five different positions, create pos- these positions that people land in? The words behind me: I'm millennialist, post-millennialist, and pre-millennialist. And people take these. So, I'm means I'm and post The thousand years is figurative. Okay, I'm think that um, things are going to get progressively worse. Right, the thousand years is actually right now, and things are going to get progressively worse. And then Jesus is going to come back, and everything is going to—he's going to sort everything out. The postmillennialists still think the thousand years is um, figurative, and it is right now. But things—they're much more kind of optimistic, you could say. Things are going to get continually better, and Jesus will return when the world has been almost all become to know Christ. And the, the premillennialists think that um, Jesus, the millennium happens after Jesus comes back, right? Those thousand years. So Jesus comes back, and this is kind of, a, a, I want to do my best to represent these well, but the premillennial view kind of slips like a, a secret second coming of Jesus in there right? There's Jesus' first coming when he lived and died and rose again, and then there's like his final coming when everything is set right, but the pre has kind of slipped this level secret second coming in there when Jesus calls the church, and the church is rescued from, Brian used the word tribulation, rescued, and um, then the thousand years happens. Then those people that were rescued come back to earth with Jesus, and everything gets finished, clear as mud, The reason, the reason why I point all that out is because um, it, people develop whole systems of worldview and ethics based around these confusing terms, like one chapter in the book of Revelation, like a view of how you treat creation. Well, it's all going to get blown up anyway, so what difference does it make? It's really crass oversimplification. I'm sorry. Um, or, you know, the, the reading it as it's already happened, then it really doesn't, you know, Jesus doesn't want me to be lukewarm. Well, but he was talking to people back in the first century doesn't really apply to me. So it's important how, how we view these things. And I, I apologize for all the jargon and all the, all the nonsense. Um, but, I mean, can you see how people get confused and then they land in a position and then they end up arguing about it and not really for the betterment of of really anything. So um, where we're, what we wanna do is, this is, this is the viewpoint that I have kind of landed on and that I'm gonna teach this from, the eclectic or hybrid. That's the one that tries to recognize that Revelation is not a single genre of literature. Revelation is um, apocalyptic, it's prophetic, and it's pastoral. And so as we go through this, I'm recognizing my presuppositions and I'm telling you where I'm coming from. And that's the perspective I'm gonna try to, try to teach this from. I will try to point out the other viewpoints as we, as we go along because um, here's, the, here's, the, here's the thing, right? All of them, all of that. You take all of that, and then there's like what I just simply called the the biggies. They all believe these things. Jesus will return in bodily form. Jesus will set everything right and destroy sin and death and evil. And everyone who calls Jesus Lord will live with him in a perfect Eden-like experience forever. They all end up with those three things. So I, I hold my eclectic presupposition loosely and I'm, I listen to different different perspectives and I would encourage you to do the same thing don't just take my word for it ask questions do your own do your own research um, we right, we've talked about before studying scripture as a community under the guidance of, of the Holy Spirit that's That's the way we get to our understanding of Scripture that God wants us to have. All right. Any questions? What's that? A thousand? thousand? Any short questions? Jesus' is hope, comfort, and challenge, right? He, he yep, absolutely. Thanks, Gabe. Any thoughts, questions? I was watching y'all's faces and I, I get it, right? And we will we will try to so so next week is gonna be we're gonna talk about the historical context, um, you know, first century Rome that the original audience heard this in, um, and how how uh, significantly dependent, the Book of Revelation is on the Old Testament. The Book of Revelation has more references to the Old Testament than any other any other book in the Bible. Uh, and we'll look at one or two of those passages and try to get some some understanding. But like you know, like Gabe was saying, Revelation points us to Jesus as our hope, our comfort, and our challenge. Right, our hope that no matter the struggle that we might have right now, there is a future that has no more tears, no more sorrows, no more pain. There's comfort in knowing, no matter how out of control things might feel right now, Jesus is working history to his desired end. And that desired end is all of us together with him in an Eden-like new heaven and and new earth. And the, the challenge is for us to live with him and like him now, Right, like to help bring about a world the kingdom come that will be done on earth as in heaven. That we do our part to eliminate tears and sorrow and suffering and pain, and we that's that's the challenge. We want to live faithfully. We want to live. You know, Ben was talking about our hearts being increasingly towards God, living lifestyles of worship. And that we would do that. John calls us and his original audience to resist and subvert the powers that we are surrounded by, right? There's the earthly kind of stuff that we have to deal with, but then there's also the power, the supernatural power, Satan behind all that. And as we live faithfully, as we live lives of worship inspired by hope, this hope, comfort, and challenge, it Brings us that much closer to Jesus. It brings us that much closer together. Revelation points us to Jesus as our hope, comfort, and challenge. So um, there's a Christian rapper. His name is Shy Lin, and at the end, he wrote a song called The Millennium, which is kind of hysterical. It's like a a doctoral dissertation on his eschatological position, but it's in a rap tune. So, if you're curious, go listen to the Millennium by Shai Lin. But he ends, he ends his song by saying this: um, Even if we disagree, true believers, home with me. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your book, for your entire book, even the book of Revelation, um, as confusing as it might be. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would um, intervene and clear clear our minds. That you would, um, if I confuse people even more spirit, that you would clear that up, um, that you would draw us closer to you as we grow in our understanding of this book, even in the understanding of the, the uh, viewpoints that we disagree with, Lord, that we might understand those and that we might concentrate on those big pieces like Gabe reminded us, that you will come back and that you will set all things right and that we do have an eternity in the new heaven and the new earth to look forward to with you and each other. Lord Jesus, help us to live like that new creation here and now. We love you and we thank you. Amen.